0: Hello and welcome to Church Online. My name is Pete, pastor here at Destiny, and it's a joy to come into your living rooms or wherever you're watching. Uh, It's great to be together. So let's pray and ask that the Lord will speak to us just where we are. Let's just close our eyes and pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are God, the creator, and God, you're the God who loves us so much. Father, every week we remember your love, and your love was so clearly demonstrated 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ, you came into this world and for people like us, you died in our place on the cross so that people like us could be forgiven, so that people like us could have eternal and new life. And thank you, Jesus, you didn't stay dead, but you rose from the dead. You conquered death and today you're alive and you offer eternal life to anyone who will believe in you. And I pray for people joining us today, God, for anyone who's joining us who doesn't yet have that relationship, please make yourself known to them today and let them come close to you and put their trust in jesus lord i pray as we turn to the bible would you speak to us would you encourage our hearts would you teach us help me to speak help us to hear in the name of jesus amen amen well today we're looking at this we're in this series this last week in the series called battles and today we're looking specifically at battles of the minds there was a family and uh, they had two sons And one was a real optimist, the other was a real pessimist. One was incredibly positive about everything, the other was incredibly negative about everything. And it was Christmas time, and the parents decided, you know what, we want to readdress the balance here. So uh, Christmas Eve, once the kids were asleep, the parents sneaked into the really negative kid's room and filled the room with presents from the floor to the ceiling and managed to do that without waking him up and into the really positive kid's room, they ordered a ton of horse manure, and they poured a huge big pile of horse manure in this kid's room. Anyway, in the morning, uh, the parents went into the room to see their response, and they went into the negative kid's room, and he was sitting there crying his eyes out. He had a big pile of presents, and he was crying his eyes out, and they said, what's wrong? And they said, well, I can't decide what present to open first. So they kind of rolled their eyeballs, and then they went into the other kid's room, And all they could see was this pile of manure and two feet sticking out at the end. So they grabbed the feet and pulled the kid out, and they put him up, and he was covered in stuff. And and they said to him, so is there anything positive you can say about this? And the little kid said, if this is the poop, I can't imagine how amazing the pony is. Where is it? (laughs) Positivity and negativity. Actually, the way you think has a massive effect on the way your life ends up going. Uh, some research was carried out recently by a researcher called Susan Evertson. And Susan Evertson researched men specifically in Finland over a five-year period. And she studied their smoking, their alcohol consumption, their educational qualifications, their weight, their height, and their exercise regime, and also a number of psychological factors. And in that study, she discovered that the main predictor of poor health or premature death actually above the physical things was to do with whether or not someone was hopeless or negative in their thinking about the future. She discovered that men who were highly negative were three and a half times more likely to die prematurely than optimists. They were four times more likely to die of heart disease and they're two and a half times more likely to die of cancer. In other words, and that's that's one example of how our thinking can have a massive effect on our living. Let me, and there are many places in the Bible I could take you to just now, but let me take you specifically to one of the great writings of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 4 and 5. Paul said this, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedience to Christ. Powerful verse describing the way we are to deal with negative thoughts. And in these verses, we we see three things, and these are the three points I'm going to make. First of all, we see that the battles we face in life are to do with our thinking. Secondly, we understand that the thoughts that we have can lead to strongholds forming, and we'll talk about that in a moment. And then finally, we're given the weapons we need to overcome the negative thoughts we face. So point number one, your battlefield is your thinking. Your battlefield is your thinking. It says in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, For as he thinks within himself, so is he. Say that with me. For as he thinks within himself, so is he. The way you think is the way you are. Your life is a reflection of the thoughts you are thinking. In fact, your life always moves in the direction of your strongest, most dominant thought. Say that with me. Your life will always move in the direction of your strongest, most dominant thought. You know, in the, in the desert, there are two birds, the hummingbirds and the vulture, and they both live in the desert. But the, the vultures, all they see is rotting dead meat. But the hummingbirds, they ignore the carcasses. They look for colourful blossoms of of new life. The vultures live on what was on the past. They fill themselves with what is dead and gone. But hummingbirds, however, they live on what is. They seek new life. Each bird finds what they're looking for, and it's the same with us. Isn't it tragic that often people who have been abused in the past end up with abusive partners. I mean, why would, why would you do that? And yet, that's often what happens. Why is it that people who are hurting often end up hanging out with other people who are hurting? And the reason is because your life always moves in the direction of your strongest, most dominant thought. You cannot live a positive life if you have a negative mind. I remember uh, growing up in Glasgow, we had little, two little cats, Misha and Sasha. And Misha and Sasha, uh, we got, I remember getting them from a cat home in Paisley. I remember we picked them up and we brought them back in their little box. And they'd obviously been brought in from the streets. They'd obviously been abandoned as, as kittens. And we, we got them maybe kind of just before they were one years old. And they came to our house, and I remember we opened the, the thing. I was expecting to have a couple of little cats we could play with and pull string along and have fun with. But they just as soon as they, as soon as they got out of the box, they found a cupboard and ran under the cupboard and hid under the cupboard. And for the first week or two, we literally had to push food under the cupboard so that they could eat. They were so utterly timid. And I think, I, I, you know, I don't know what they had gone through before the cat refuge got them, but obviously they'd experienced some form of terrible abuse or torture, that these cats were absolutely traumatized. So Misha and Sasha, they came to live with us. They were now in a safe environment. They had all the food they needed every day. They were loved. They were cuddled. They were stroked. They lived, had a nice big garden to play in. And yet, not just for those first two weeks, but for all of their lives, they were utterly timid cats. If anyone tried to approach them outside, they would just run off. Uh, even, even among us as a family, they, they, they were really nervous around us all the time. And you think, wow, isn't that strange? That even though they were physically in a different place in their heads, they were totally stuck in another place. And because of their thinking, they weren't able to enjoy the lives that they had been brought into. And that's so like all of us. And it's the battles we face in our mind is not just to do with the thoughts we think, it's also to do with God's truths and good thoughts and plans He has for us versus. The lies that the devil wants to sow into our minds and pull us back and cause us to live in restricted lives even though we might be in a good place. And that's the battle that's going on. It's not just our own thoughts we're at the mercy of here. We're we're affected by the spiritual realm. There is an enemy who wants to sow negative lies or thoughts into your mind and my minds. Some of the thoughts we come up with aren't just our own. Sometimes they are our own, but sometimes they're sown there and they drag us back. So, and the, that's why the Bible verse we just read says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So you get thoughts in your head. No one's going to accept you. How can someone with a past like you have anyone wanting anyone, anything to do with you? You can't trust people. God doesn't love you. God doesn't hear your prayer you're always going to be hurting. You're never going to get over that. You're never going to experience real intimacy. Lies come into our heads. Or they might be not deflating lies, but inflating lies. Like, you're so much better than them. That's a lie. Or, how could they they do that? You need to get back at them. You need to show them. Lies. And the lies might try and pull you down or might try and puff you up. I- I- inappropriately so. And either way, they come and have a damaging effect. Now, the difficulty with all the lies is this. There are two things that make the lies stronger in our lives than they should be. First of all, typically lies or negative thoughts come as half-truths. They're not completely false. There's an element of truth in them. And so, therefore, we find it hard just to brush them aside because there's an element of truth in them. And secondly, so they're half-truths. Secondly, the second problem is this our emotions often agree with the lie. And therefore, we find it incredibly hard just to get rid of it because when 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 we hear the lie, God doesn't love me, our emotions confirm it. Yeah, I wouldn't blame him if he didn't love me. Because you feel it emotionally. Or, you know, you need to you need to get back at those people. And your emotions are saying, you're riled on the inside, and you think, yeah, I'm gonna get back at them. So your emotions reach up and grab hold of the thought and pull it down. So the two things that make it hard is that the lies come in half-truths and the lies engage with your emotions. And for those two reasons, they stay longer than they should. The second point I see in these verses is this. The first point is the battlefield is in your mind. All the problems, most of the problems we face are between our two ears. Second point is this. Your thoughts can become strongholds. Say stronghold. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, let's read the verses again. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, what does strongholds mean? Well, strongholds mean a fortress or like a castle, indeed a prison fortress, where we're imprisoned in a fortress in our thinking. It means an entrenchment, a a hard place where our thinking has become entrenched or hardened and immovable. It means that we're hindered and held back by certain thought patterns. And the devil, the enemy, shapes our thinking just one lie at a time until eventually we end up in a prison in our thinking. That's a stronghold. And um, scientists who study the brain they describe strongholds in a different way. They describe it as neural pathways. And a neural pathway is this. The more you think a particular thought, every time you think that thought, it's easier to think that thought again. So it's like a path. The more you think a thought, or the more you w- take a particular route through a field, that route becomes easier next time to go on that same route because you flatten flattened down the grass. And before you know it, just like a path, the grass starts disappearing and the ground becomes hardened and it becomes an easier path every time you go over it the next time it's even easier to go over it and it's the same in our thinking that we start thinking thoughts and every time you think that thought uh, uh, it could be a good thought or it could be a bad thought and typically i'm talking here about bad thoughts that we start having these negative thoughts and we then get used to thinking that thought and do you know what it's easier to think that same thought again next time it becomes a pathway the grass starts clearing A path starts forming. It becomes an easy route. You don't have to fight through the grass anymore. It's become an easy route. And scientists who study the brain describe literally that people form neural pathways in their minds. So it could be you have a stressful day, and your typical response is you come home from the stressful day and you take it out on your family. Well, that and that's your default response. You've allowed a neural pathway to form or a stronghold in your mind to form. Um, You feel low, so you. What do you first? You instantly go to the fridge. That's what you do. You go to the fridge, and you start eating stuff you know you shouldn't eat. Well, you and every time you do that, the next time it's easier to do it. You've formed a neural pathway. You have a stronghold. Or you feel frustrated, so you turn to pornography. And every time you do that, do you know what you felt? You felt so devastated at first time, but the next time it's a bit easier. And before you know it, you've formed a neural pathway, a stronghold of your thinking, and that's how people end up entrapped. That's what the Bible is describing when it's talking about strongholds. In Genesis chapter 3, at the very beginning of the Bible, Satan's first attack on humanity, we, actually he didn't attack us and he didn't take us captive with a gun, with a knife, or with a chain. At the beginning in Genesis 3, Satan took the human race captive with a lie, with words that were spoken, with seeds that were sown, and people embraced those seeds and it brought devastation. So, here's what you ought to do. First of all, what is, and you, I want you to think about this, maybe even write it down, what is the number one lie, the most dominant thought negatively that you find yourself holding on to, or certainly it holds on to you? What is that dominant thought that has a hold of you more than any other negative dominant thought? What is it? Identify it today. What is that? What is it it driving you towards? What is it making you be like? What is that dominant thought, that negative thought pattern in your life? Identify it. Um, There was a story of a farmer and he was out for a walk one day in the woods. And as he was going through the woods, he came across an eaglet, a baby eagle, that had somehow or another found itself abandoned. And so he decided he would take it home and look after it. So he brought the eaglet back to the farm and he, he, because he was looking after chickens, he figured, well, they're birds, it's a bird, and he just let the eagle live among the chickens. So every day it had food, it just ate among the chickens, and, it's, and, it got, and it grew up from childhood as it started growing, and it just started living like a chicken, walking around, pecking the food on the grounds, never really using its wings, and just living like a chicken. One day a naturalist was passing through the area, and he happened to see this eaglet, this that had now become a full grown eagle, that was wandering around the grounds in this farm forecourt around where the chickens were. And it was pecking food from the grounds. And the naturalist said to the farmer, How could you allow an eagle to live like a chicken? It's a king of the birds. And here it is living a restricted life. And the farmer said, Well, it, I just looked after it and it grew up among the chickens and it's living like a chicken. And the naturalist said, let me try and reorientate it to get it to live in, in its full potential as an eagle. So the farmer said, go for it. And so the man picked up the, chick, uh, picked up the eagle and he held it high above his head. And he said, oh, now you'd fly, eagle. You're the king of the birds. And he, he released it up into the air and the, the eagle flapped a little bit, but then it just flap flapped and it straight down into the yard again among its chicken friends and started pecking at the ground. So the, next, the, the naturalist took the eagle and he took it into the farmhouse all the way to the top floor and it, out the hatch onto the roof of the farm and he held up higher thinking this might help it and he held it up in this in the air and said now fly eagle you're the king of the birds and he and he released it and it, the, the eagle opened its wings momentarily and glided a little bit but it instantly saw its friends the chickens and it just swooped down landed in the yard and started pecking food among the chickens so eventually the naturalist picked up the eagle took it in its car to a nearby nature reserve to a high point where it was a decent altitude and it was a clear day and he held up the eagle and he said now you're the king of the birds soar like you were created to soar and he released it into the air as that eagle all of a sudden felt the air currents the rising warm air and the sun on its on its eyes it spread its wings and before it knew it was soaring something within it the way it was created just ignited and it became all it was meant to be. It never returned to those chickens and it continued to live its life as the eagle it was meant to be. Do you know some of you are living restricted lives, living lives that you're, you're, you're wandering around like chickens when you were actually designed to soar. God has a great plan for you. You were designed and created to have a relationship with God. You weren't designed to go through life without God. You were designed to have a relationship with God. And then that relationship with God, he has plans for you. He has a plan to take you somewhere in life. Not to so you're in survival mode, just getting the food you need day after day to get by. There is more to life than existence. You are a human being created in the image of God. You are a designer label. There is no one else like you. And God has plans for you and purposes for your life. In fact, God revealed those plans so directly for you when Jesus Christ came. And Jesus came and he died. He didn't die for uh, just animals. He died for human beings. Jesus died on behalf of human beings like you and I. He died in our place so that we could come into that relationship that we were born to have. Jesus died to save you from your sins and bring you to God. Allow yourself to be saved today. Trust in Jesus. Let him change your life forever and live the potential that God's got for you. At the end of the service, at the end of this message, I'll give you an opportunity. If that's you today and you're saying, Peter, I want God in my life, then I will give you an opportunity to pray and make your own response to him. So strongholds, they keep us in entrenched ways of thinking. They hold us back in the past. They stop us from reaching our potential. So what's our weapon coming against these strongholds? Well, that brings me to my final point. Your weapon is his word. Let's read the verses again. 2 Corinthians 10. For the weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. It's interesting when you go back to that account in Genesis chapter 3 again where Satan tempted mankind. What were the first words recorded that Satan spoke to human beings? We found in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. The first thing Satan said, our enemy said to human beings was this. Did God really say the very attack of Satan was to actually disarm us. Satan knew that if he was going to defeat us, he needed to first disarm us. Because our weapon, our form of not just attack, but also defense, was the very words that God spoke to us. It says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The Bible, God's Word, is incredibly powerful. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, who was a famous pastor and church leader from London about hundred or so years ago, he had a massive congregation. And he was also f- famously known for preaching in the open air as well. And sometimes, just in a public place in London, he would take his cap off and he'd put it in a prominent place on the grounds. And then, just to draw a crowd, he would, he would start he would point at the cap and his finger would be shaking. He'd be pointing at the cap and says, it's alive, it's alive. And then before he knew it, a crowd would start to form around the cap, wondering what animal was captured underneath the cap. And he'd be saying, it's alive, it's alive. And then he would move over gingerly to the cap and he would lift the cap up and out from underneath the cap, he'd bring a Bible. It's alive, he would say. And then he would tell the crowd about how this book is alive and it contains within it truths that can change your life. The Bible is alive. The Bible describes itself. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. God's words. This is a life-changing book. This book is a powerful book. And Satan knew that in order to disarm us, to make us defenceless, the first thing out of Satan's mouth to the human race was this. Did God really say? He wanted us to get away from the way our creator had spoken to us, onto our own thoughts or onto his thoughts. You see, if I want to know how an item that has been created is to be used, I've got to read the owner's manual. If you have a Dyson and you want to know how that Dyson works, you've got to read the Dyson owner's manual and that will tell you how it works. So also, as human beings, we also have been created and our creator has given us a book. There is no book like this. You can read books, but this book, it reads you. It changes your life and it speaks to you like no other book can. For, I don't know, for 26 years now, since I was 15 years old, I've been consistently reading this book and it has completely changed my life. Completely changed my life. The the thoughts that you have are powerful, but the devil's thoughts are more powerful Than your thoughts. If you think you're going to combat the devil's thoughts with your thoughts, then you need to understand your thoughts are not powerful enough. The only way you can combat the devil's thoughts are with God's thoughts, with God's words. You need an enemy, you need a weapon by which you can deal with your enemy. And this, like a sword, is your weapon. It's interesting in the verses it says, We are to take captive every thought. Now that word captive literally means at spear point. we are got to take captive at spear point. In other words, it's, it's not like we, we are, We're, it's almost aggressive. We've got to take captive those thoughts. Eve in Genesis chapter 3, she got into conversation with the devil. You don't have a conversation with a snake, okay? You take captive you, at spear point. You're quite aggressive. I do not accept that thought. You've got, to be, you've got to be quite aggressive and militant. I do not accept that thought. When a thought comes into your head and it's not of the Lord, you say, I do not accept that thought. Take it captive. And then it says, and you've got to make it obedient to Christ. What does it mean to make obedient? Well, in the Greek language, to be obedient, it means to listen under. So what happens is this. You take captive the lie that comes your way and then you submit it to the truth. And you've got to, you bring that lie under the truth and the truth dominates the lie. And you, that's how you extinguish the lies that come into your mind. Now that pattern we see going through the Bible. The question I asked you earlier was this. What is your number one thought pattern that has become a stronghold? What's the dominant thought that keeps pulling you back down again? So you've identified that. Now I'm going to ask you, what does this book say about that lie? So you've got, to, you've, got to, you've got to take captive that lie and it keeps coming up in your head all the time as you go through your life and through your day. You grab it and then you submit it. You bring it under the word of God and say, well, what does this Bible say about that lie? And you've got to then, have a, you've, then you've got to have a sequence of words. You've got to have a, a thought that can replace the other thought. You've got to have a truth that can replace the lie. And that's how you use this word. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, it's described for us in Matthew chapter 4, Satan came to him, first he said to him, you know, if you're you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And how did Jesus answer him? He didn't just say, no, devil, that's not a good idea. He didn't just speak out of his own head. It said, Matthew 4, verse 4, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And then Satan said to him, you know, he he said, okay, throw yourself off this, this high place. And God will send his angels and rescue you. And how did Jesus reply? It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And then Satan then gave him this vision and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And how did Jesus reply to that? He didn't just say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to bow down and worship you, Satan. How did Jesus answer him? Away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only on every occasion, when a lie came to Jesus Christ, and I think he deliberately answered in this way to to model something to us. He deliberately answered Satan, not with just human thoughts, he answered with God's thoughts. You see the difference? Now, those, those quotes, those three quotes Jesus gave were from Deuteronomy chapter six and chapter eight. That tells me that Jesus maybe in his own time had just been pondering those verses in Deuteronomy. And so when that moment of need came, he had a weapon and i want to say to you every day every day take time just to read this book not in a religious way oh, i've got to do my religious duty no no read this like you're someone who's got the greatest treasure ever and you're so excited to see what god your creator is saying to you like wow what is god going to say to me today just read it you don't need to read tons just quality not necessarily quantity over time cover ground absolutely but enjoy this book let it speak to you and here's what will happen God will place in your heart truths that will start combating the lies that you've been struggling with. Even on the day that the lie comes, almost certainly God will speak his truth into your heart. Read it. Allow it to become this truth. So identify the number one lie that keeps coming against you, keeps pulling you back down. It's becoming a stronghold in your thinking. And then identify the truth of God's word that addresses that lie and bring that captive thought and submit it to the truth that you found. So when you have that lie come saying, I'm ugly. No one will be attracted to me. Instantly get the Bible out and say, actually, Psalm 139 verse 14 says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And you just, I'm not accepting that lie. When the lie comes saying, God has abandoned me. Matthew chapter 28 verse 20 says, Jesus said, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age, you are not abandoned. When that lie comes, no good is going to come my way. Everything always goes wrong in my life. You get your Bible out. Psalm 23, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. When the lie comes, I can't do it. I just can't do it. I've tried and failed. I can't do it. Well, you get Philippians chapter chapter 4 verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Don't just come against it. No, I think I can do it. I'll just be positive. No, no. Let th- Your thoughts aren't strong enough. Let the thoughts of God start filling your heart with great truth and great joy and let that become the word by which, because this, this is spiritual power. This isn't weapons of the, wo- of the world. These are divinely powerful and you have power then to overcome the lies. I don't think I can make it. Philippians chapter one, verse six. He who began, confident of this, that he who began a good work in you We'll carry it on to completion. You're going to make it. I love the word of God. It's so full of truths. And I want you to be equipped with these truths. So when the lies come, you can overcome. If you deny a negative thought enough, if you refuse to keep thinking that thought, keep holding on to it, then what happens is this. It's like you stop going down that path. And in time, you stop going down the path, grass will grow over that path. And instead of going down that path, instead you, you have a new set of paths you go down and you start forming a new path. And before you know it, that path will become the path you walk on, this path of truth. And the fruit in your life will be joyful, physical health, blessing, instead of the devastation and destruction and isolation that the previous thought patterns. It doesn't happen overnight. Just like a path that's formed doesn't grow over overnight. But new paths can be formed. It's a daily journey dig into the word michelangelo the famous painter one day gathered his students together and he was looking at what some of their work and his favorite student a painter had painted this beautiful painting which it's quite stunning and michelangelo stood silently for a few moments pondering this piece of artwork and then he took a paintbrush and he got some dark paint and he wrote a word across the painting the word he wrote across it was "amplius," which means larger. He, sa- he was saying that, you know, the painting in itself was a beautiful painting. It was painted beautifully. It was very technically good. But he said it needed to be much bigger. The frame was too small. It felt too condensed, too compressed. It didn't feel free. And I feel that God wants to write on the canvas of our souls... Amplius. Think bigger. God doesn't just want to give you truths by which you can combat the lies. God also wants to fill your heart with great thoughts. Thoughts of God. Thoughts of his purposes. Thoughts of the dreams that God has for your life. This book has got it all in it. Amplius. He wants you to think bigger and as you do that you walk into the abundant life that God has for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you're the God who helps us as we face battles in life. And we acknowledge, God, that often our battles are fought and won or sometimes fought and lost in the area of our thinking. Before our life becomes a certain way, typically we've been thinking a certain pattern of thoughts. And today, Lord God, we're asking you for your help in this. And thank you, your Bible's already given us advice. So we receive your word today, Lord. God, for those who have identified a particular thought pattern that's a negative thought pattern that they keep defaulting to, I'm asking you now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would speak to them your truth into that area of their lives, that they would take the time to find in your Bible truths that will speak directly to deal with that lie. And I pray they would be able to walk free and live the life you've called them to live in Jesus' name. While while we're praying I want to give an opportunity to you today if you're here and you're connecting and you're not yet in relationship with God. God really loves you and I believe actually you're here today because God wanted you to hear about him and he's drawing you to himself. Why not make the greatest decision of your life right now and put your trust in him? The one who loved you so much that Jesus came and he died for you and he rose again. If that's you and you want to make that decision then pray this prayer with me just now pray, dear Lord God, I thank you for your great love for me. Jesus, thank you so much that you were willing to come into this world and to pay the price and to die on the cross so that my sins could be forgiven, so that I could have a new life. Today, I believe in you. And I believe, Jesus, you rose from the dead and you're alive forevermore. And today, God, I commit myself into your hands. Forgive me for all my sins. I turn my life over to you. Jesus, be Lord of my life from now on. And with your help, I will follow you. God, thank you for hearing my prayer and accepting me as yours, as your child and as part of your family. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I know that God has heard you. And that prayer, I prayed that prayer when I was 15. And if you just prayed that prayer there, just like me, my life was changed by trusting in Jesus. God has heard your prayer. God accepts you. And we want to, as a church, we want to help you grow in this journey. If you prayed that prayer, why don't you just click the, I prayed that prayer button, raise your hand. Or if you're on Facebook or YouTube, email us to let us know you did that. We want to help you grow and journey forward. Church is designed to help people grow in their faith connect with us and we want to help you go on that journey god bless you look forward to seeing you again next week